All right, well, good morning to you all. Good to see you all out there. Today we're going to continue our study of the book of Revelation. We're going to finish chapter 5, or 15, and then we're going to do all of 16. So uh, we're going to start in, in ver, uh, chapter 15, verse 5, and read to the end of chapter 16. So when you find chapter 15, verse 5, would you please stand reading God's word? All right, Revelation chapter 15, verse 5. After this I looked, and the sanctuary, the tent of witness in heaven was open. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and his water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For there are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kingdoms of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning again in the name of Jesus. Lord, looking to you and asking for your help as we deal with these uh, difficult uh, things that we have before us in this passage. Lord, we want to understand rightly and we want to take away from it the main points that you are that you are communicating to your people we ask that you enable us to look to you and seek understanding from you and we ask that you grant it lord i ask that you enable me to speak with clarity and with accuracy and enable all of us to receive your truth as you have revealed yourself in your word, Lord, that's how we want to know and understand. The things that you have for us to grasp, to believe, and even to do, Lord, that's, that's what we want to get. 
Moses said those things that are revealed belong to us. So, Father, by your grace and by the power of your Spirit working in us, Lord, we want to receive those things that you have given to us to receive. May our knowledge of you grow. May our love for you increase. May our compassion for those who remain in a state of lostness increase. May we faithfully be about the work that you have given us to do. All for your glory and honor. We ask these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. We've uh, come in our our study here to the uh, seven bowl judgments, the seven last plagues uh, that they're called here where God is completing His wrath or, or the outpouring of His wrath. So, for example, you look again at chapter 15, verse 1, and you see that at the end of that verse, um, He says, which are the last, that is, seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. Or it's completed. It's brought to its its end, the goal. And then, if you look over into chapter 16, verse 17, at the at the pouring out of the seventh bowl into the air, at the end of that verse, it says, "It is done." That is, it is finished. It is completed, and it's referring to the same thing that verse 1 in chapter 15 is referring to. The, the completion, or the end, or the goal, the finishing, the completing of God's wrath, or the outpouring of God's wrath upon the world. Now, let me just say specifically what we're referring to here, because, um, of course, when you, uh, uh, when you think about the end, that's, that's it, right? <laughs> that's all. Uh, but but this is not the end in that sense. This this is the end in the sense that it is the completion of God's outpouring of His wrath on the world in this age. In other words, this is bringing us right up to the end, right up to the the second coming of Christ, um, at which time um, the great um, judgment day will will take place, great white throne judgment that we'll be talking about later, Lord willing. And then uh, everyone will enter into the eternal state. Um, the righteous into the presence of the Lord, that is those who have been saved by the grace of God, into the presence of the Lord forever. That's, our, that's the eternal state that we have as Christians to look forward to. And the unrighteous are those who do not know God, those who have rejected the gospel or do not know God, um, will enter into... Um, eternal damnation, right? We saw, I think it was back in chapter 14, right, where it described the smoke of their torment as going up uh, forever and ever. So eternal torment um, in um, eternal punishment as for for those who uh, do not know Christ. So so what we're talking about here is is getting us right up to that point. When we get through the seven bold judgments, that in terms of chronology, that's where... That's where we'll be. I think everything that we're seeing here takes place in this age, but it's at the end. You know, I've, I've, I've uh, pointed out several times as we've been moving through here, because a, a lot of the things that we've looked at, for example, you go back and you look at the, the, um, the seven trumpets, uh, when the seven seals were broken and then the seven trumpets were sounded. A lot of the things that we've been looking at, uh, I think, describe events... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, tribulation, you know, hardship. Describe things that are going on throughout the age, throughout the church age, the age that we're living in now. So, in other words, they, they are events that are pretty much common to all time. You know, you got wars and uh, famine and disease and that kind of thing. But as we've said several times, when you get to the very end of the end, which I think is what we're seeing with the outpouring of the seven uh, bowls. Um, when, you, when you get to the very end of the end, you're, you're still talking about pretty much the same things, except 
with greater intensity. So it all escalates. Because it's, it's like, in, in, in terms of Satan and his kingdom, it's, it's the, if the final assault on the kingdom of God. And so he's, he's literally, I guess you could say, coming at the church and coming against God and the things of God with everything that he's got. So, so uh, the Lord, um, who, who Revelation makes clear, in fact, all of the Bible makes clear, uh, who is Lord over all and, and uh, reigns over all and controls all things, right? It's the Lord gives him leash, as it were, so that he might um, express his, his, his wrath, his, his wrath toward the church in a, in a greater... I'm talking about Satan's wrath. So that he might express his wrath toward the church in a, in a greater way. That's at the very end of the end. So all of these things like wars and rumors of wars that Jesus talked about... Um, famines, pestilence, those, go, those things happen throughout all, the, all ages. They've been happening since the fall. But at the very end, there seems to be an intensification, all right, which many, you know, we refer to as the, uh, the Great Tribulation. It's a time that, uh, uh, like no other. All right? So I think that's where we're at with the seven bowl judgments. We're at the very end, a final assault by Satan and, and the, the, uh, the worst uh, th- throughout history, by Satan against the church and against God, and final judgment by God upon the world and upon Satan and his kingdom. In this age, final judgment in this age, okay? So that's where we are, I think, chronologically. So um, we've seen the uh, seven seals open, we've seen the seven trumpets sounded, and now we're at the seven bowl judgments being poured out. Now, part of the um, seriousness of this, the gravity here, I think is, is found in those last few verses that Joel read in, in chapter 15. When you look at the way um, what's, what's, what is described here leading up to it, and as far as in the, the tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle, he, John says, and I'm going to go back to Chapter 15, verse 5. I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open. Out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. So that's like priestly apparel. And uh, that's the picture there. And they're coming out uh, uh, doing ministry, as it were, carrying out um, God's purposes and plans. Verse 7. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels... Seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. So you have seven bowls, like which my understanding is the term here is um, actually more like saucers. It'd be like a, a what we would call a saucer, a, a shallow plate. But the, but again, the picture here is in the temple, the tabernacle, and where God's presence is. And you've got uh, uh, angels in priestly apparel, it seems, and temple utensils like the bowls that are full of the wrath of God. Now, obviously, that's, that's um, an analogy, um, but, but it has to do with the literal outpouring of His wrath on the world. All right, in verse 8, the sanctuary was filled... Or I'm sorry, let me finish verse 7 first. Uh, in fact, I'll start back over in verse 7. One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. That's, that's why, I don't, why I didn't want to miss that, because all the way through here, we're being reminded about who God is. God's being and His character. All right, so what, when you see these kinds of descriptions here, the God who lives forever and ever, that, that applies to no one else. In other words, you can't, you can't use that terminology in reference to Satan you can't use that terminology in reference to other angelic beings like the four creatures who were around the throne or the 24 elders who were around the throne. You can't use that kind of terminology to describe human beings. Only the one true and living God who is the only perfect being. He lives forever and ever. So He's always set above here, okay? This is important for the church to understand, especially in times of tribulation. God transcends 
all else. In glory, in power, God transcends all else. So sometimes it gets really ugly in the world. You've got, you got situations like right now in Iraq and Syria where ISIS has, has uh, taken hold and, and they're, they're, you know, Christians are being martyred in, in some gruesome ways. Um, and so it would be easy in that kind of situation to be tempted to think that evil and the one who is behind it is greater than God. Uh, many people were. You, you look at periods like that throughout history. Many people were tempted to think that way. You know, during the Holocaust, you, there are records of you know people saying, "Where was God?" So it's important that we understand um, who God is, what He's like, and that He is. Over and above all things, he's not losing control, no matter what's going on in the world. He's working all things out according to his plan and purpose for his glory, primarily, and for the good of his people. That's important for Christians to know. So even when it gets really, really ugly in life, God is working that for our good. All right, so he's the one who lives forever and ever. And he goes on to say in uh, verse 8, the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power. Now, this is what I'm wanting us to see here as, as preparation is being made for the outpouring of God's wrath on the world. The, the completion of the execution of God's wrath in this age. Everything gets very solemn very serious. I mean, the, here's one of, the, one of these places in the Scripture, which, which really we should see it all the way through, but here's one of these places where the, where the weightiness, the heaviness comes through. It's like the writer of Hebrews saying, our God is a consuming fire. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Right? The, the heaviness, the weightiness comes through. And that's even, even in the, the heavenly realm, that's what's taking place here because they know what's about to happen. God is about to manifest His wrath in a powerful way. And so the glory of God, which He describes here as smoke, smoke from the glory of God um, and His power, Filled the tabernacle. Now that's what we call the Shekinah glory. You probably hear that term sometimes, Shekinah glory, um, which actually doesn't come from Scripture. Um, it just comes from tradition, but um, that's what it's pointing to. Uh, the, the, the manifestations, like, like visible or tangible manifestations of the glory of God. When, when uh, the tabernacle was de- dedicated, for example, in the Old Testament, and then later the, the temple was dedicated, you had this picture. Just like we see here, where the, the temple or the tabernacle was filled with smoke. Which was uh, not literally smoke, but it was the glory of God. A manifestation of the glory of God. And it, and it so filled the house of God that the priests couldn't even stand up. You know, they could not minister in there. So you get, um, just like if you were in a house filled with smoke, you, you wouldn't be able to stand. So, so um, manifest and so powerful was the presence of God, that in those, those cases, um, people could not even stand to do what they were in there to do. And so that's the picture you've got here. In fact, he says, no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Now, I wanna, I wanna, I'm going to go through the, the plagues here, and, and we'll, we'll just kind of... Um, look at the description that we're given here. And uh, Lord willing, tonight we'll have more time to, to discuss that. What I really want to drive home this morning is what I think is the, the main point here, all right? And I, and I would sum it up this way, the main point, this way. The end-time manifestations of God's judgment upon the world are both sure and just. 
and we must live in readiness for them. So, so this is going to be key for this morning, that God is just. His, his, the end-time manifestations of His judgment are the way that the, the, uh, it's described for us here, the completion of it, where He, where he brings uh, uh, it, it to its, its ultimate end as far as judgment in this age. It is sure that it, it, that is, it, is, it is coming because God is who He is and because He is overall and because no one can stay His hand. He accomplishes His purposes. So it's coming and it is just. That is, it's right. It's right. Now, listen, I want, I want to acknowledge before we can go any further, this is, a, this is a heavy subject. It's a weighty, weighty subject. But here's the thing. This is one of the things I want us to get because, because this is given to us in Scripture. God is glorified in expressing His wrath. So that's kind of what I was, want us, where I want us to you know, think this morning. You, you put that for a title if you're taking notes. God's glory in wrath. God's glory in wrath. And let me just say this too up front. Other than having compassion, which we should have, on people that are lost, this is not given to us um, as Christians. This is not given to Christians um, to make us sad or despair. This is given to us as assurance, like we've been talking about all the way through this book, as assurance that there's coming a day when all injustices will be dealt with, when God will set things right. Now, some of you, if you're like me, um, which I think you are, in other words, you're a sinner, um, some of you, um, immediately, you know, things come to your mind. Now, which is true, we, we know of injustices. But immediately things come to our mind and solutions. This needs to happen, that needs to happen, that needs to happen. Well, we do recognize injustices in the world, but a lot of times our remedy for them is all messed up. One way or the other, you know. Either we want to take revenge ourselves, or we want to uh, let everybody off the hook, maybe. You know, we go to either extreme. Um, so that's one reason, and just one of many, but that's one reason you and I are not in charge, okay? And we're not going to bring all these things about. God's judgment is just, and what He does, we, what He does, and, and a lot of things you read in the Scripture are, sometimes are hard to swallow. You know, people talk about the hard sayings of, of Jesus, for example, which are several. What He does is right and good and beautiful. Because He's God. He's good. He's just. He's beautiful. Alright, so um, He is glorified. This is one of the ways that He has chosen to be glorified in, in the manifestation of His judgment. Now let's go through the seven last plagues here. We won't spend a lot of time on them this morning, but I want to point out what they are uh, primarily. So... Um, Let's go back to uh, verse 1 of chapter 16. I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out the, on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So again, that's what's being represented here with the pouring out of the seven bowls. It is uh, the outpouring of God's wrath, the manifestations of God's wrath at the end of time. Verse 2. So the first angel, here's the first bowl. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second, verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. And, uh, and by the way, if you go back to the earlier, like the, like the sounding of the, the trumpets, um, back a few chapters, um, we, the, the, the plagues that took place were very similar, but the, uh, the consequences of them, like dying, th- people dying or things in the sea dying, were partial. You know, say like a, like a third of all living creatures in the sea die. 
But here, notice it's not partial. Everything, right? Everything. But you'll see similar, similarities in those earlier judgments and also uh, in, the, in the plagues that were brought upon Egypt when, when the children of Israel were delivered out of, out of Egypt. So every living thing died that was in the sea. And then verse 4, the, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, and I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Let's skip down to the fourth. In verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. Probably, um, you know, this is probably one way of, of uh, representing a, a uh, representing the eternal state. You know, it's kind of like a, like a, a preview of what um, the wicked will experience in the eternal state. So the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. Then verse 9, they were scorched by the fierce heat and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give Him glory. We'll come back to that also. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish. There you get a a picture of, of the severity um, I mean, if we didn't already have it, you get a picture of the severity here of the plagues in their effect on people. So people are, are gnawing their tongues. This, this is reminiscent, isn't it, of Jesus saying that people will um, be gnashing their teeth, you know, wailing and gnashing their teeth. Verse 11, And curse the God of heaven, that is the people, people gnaw their tongues in anguish, and curse the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. And then the sixth angel, in verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Lord willing, get to talk more about that later. In verse 13, And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world, to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. And, of course, that will be the the, the final conflict um, between the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God in this age. And and then that will bring it to to judgment and uh, uh, in the final judgment day. Verse 15, Behold, I am coming like a thief. I think the words of Jesus here, and it's being interjected right into the, uh, the midst of this. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, uh, that he may not go about naked and be seen and exposed. Come back to that momentarily, Lord willing. Verse 16, And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Literally, that's the, uh, the Mount, uh, Mount Megiddo. Armageddon. Then the seventh bowl in verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. That's what we looked at earlier. Remember, this is the the completing of God's wrath. That is bringing it to its its goal, to its end in this age. Um, That's what he was talking about back in in chapter 15, verse 1. For with them, that is with the seven plague, these are the last set last plagues and with them the wrath of God is finished well now he says after the outpouring of the seventh bowl it is done in verse 18 we get this description again that we've seen several times previously um, just a way of once again of of describing the, the glory and majesty of power of God verse 18 there were flashes of lightning rumblings peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of His wrath. Remember uh, back in chapter 14, let's see, back in chapter 14, verse, um, verse 9, 
Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength, that is, without mixture. Uh, remember I told you when we were there, that's kind of a, that's a play on words there. Mixed without mixture. Mixed without mixture. So the undiluted form of God's wrath into the cup of His poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. All right, so again, back back here in chapter 16, verse 19. That's what's going on here. God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island uh, fled away. And by the way, isn't that what I just read there? Isn't that interesting that there's no escaping for the wicked? God, it says, He remembered Babylon the Great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of His wrath. So I mean, it wasn't like they they could they could escape it somehow. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna have that. We're not gonna experience that. No, He will see to it that it is carried out. Verse twenty: And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones about 100 pounds. Imagine that. Great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Uh, I had a co-worker several years ago got caught in a, probably right on the edge of a tornado. Softball-sized hail. And her little sports car was just beat up and uh, busted the windows out and all that. So you can imagine, one hail 100 pounds, that would do some damage, wouldn't it? That would do some damage. All right. Time is short, and like I say, for, the, for, the, uh, for this morning anyway, what I, what I want to get here is what I think um, is the main point. And then, Lord willing, we'll come back tonight and, uh, and try to unpack it a little bit more, and, and, uh, and we'll have opportunity... Um, for questions, or, or you know, if you just, I may miss something that you may say, hey, what about this? So, Lord willing, we'll do that tonight. All right. Um, now, I've already talked a little bit about this, but God is glorified in manifestations of His wrath. I mean, that's that's one way. He's glorified in rescuing people. So, before the foundation of the world, right? He's determined to send Christ to the cross. And just like we, we mentioned in Sunday school this morning, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 that he chose us, those of us who know Christ, chose of us, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So all that God was mapping out before he ever created the first thing. And he was doing that for his glory because in rescuing sinners, he is glorified. And that is an amazing uh, thing itself, right? That's that's the good news of the gospel. We deserve what we're talking about here. We deserve damnation, but God chose not not because we deserve it, not because there was any necessity laid upon Him. He just chose out of His own good pleasure, according to His own will, to rescue a people to Himself, and He did that by sending His own Son to bear the wrath that we deserve in our place. In fact, two things there um, we've talked about many, many, many times. Um, Christ provided the righteousness we need, and then He bore the wrath that we deserve. So, um, I, I, I love, by the way, I love you know one way that uh, Brother Carl would um, make the point that both were necessary was saying something like this. I won't say it verbatim, but um, a lot of times people just think simply in terms of Jesus paying our debt. So Brother Carl you know, would say, let's, let's say you're, you're, you're $10,000 in debt and someone else comes along and pays that off for you. What are you? And Brother Carl's answer was, Broke! <laughs> you're broke! you you're not in debt anymore, but you're still broke. And you can't go to heaven being broke. 
In other words, we have to be righteous. So it's more than just paying the debt, although that's, you know, an awesome part of it. But, so what Christ did for us is provide the righteousness that we need to go to heaven and pay the debt that we owe. And so, so we're not broke. We have the righteousness of Christ put to our account uh, as, as believers, okay? So, um, uh, yes, He pays our debt and provides the righteousness we need, and God is glorified in that. And in one sense, that's kind of easy to see. You say, I mean, of course, we have to be careful there because we tend to think that we deserve it. But, you, okay, God saves sinners, and I see how God is glorified in that. But you get here, and we talk about the, God's wrath being poured out on people, and we think, wow, how is God glorified in that? Earlier, um, in fact, I was, uh, one reason I picked this uh, psalm as a call to worship, in Psalm 711, David read this earlier, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. He's a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. And that, of course, is indignation against sin and sinners because God is holy. All right? So let's see if we can kind of think about this. And, and first, let's, let's look first at what is declared here um, in verses 5 and 6. And then let's just try to unpack that a little bit. Right and and how is God um, glorified in executing His wrath? God's glory in wrath. Well, we we just read the, the accounts of how it's poured out. Now, now, interesting that they break out in a doxology here uh, after the the third angel pours out his bowl. And here's what they say in verse five. I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was. There you get that um, concept of eternity again, transcendency. He is and He was. And He's the one being. We've seen that several times. A lot of times that's included. For you brought these judgments. All right. Now, first of all... Um, they declare God's justice and His holiness, right? You, you are just. And this is what people always question when you, when you uh, unbelievers, when you talk about the wrath of God. The problem is, is that just? Do we really deserve that? Well, the quick answer, is, of course, is yes, because God is just. He doesn't do anything unjust. Now, we, we may not understand all of the details, how it all works out. But we can be assured of this, and Christians should be, God is just. God is just. So for Him to execute His wrath on rebels is perfectly just. Right? In fact, they go on to say, and, and, and again, notice He's referred to as the Holy One. And that's why He has indignation every day, because He's holy and He is indignant towards sin and sinners. And he goes on to give us a reason here for his wrath. Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, that is, you're, you're just and holy, in bringing these judgments. So you're, are, you can think of it this way. Your, your justice and your holiness is manifest. It is seen in the fact that you brought these judgments. But why? Well, here's the reason. Verse 6. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. That's a way of saying that the punishment corresponds correctly with the, the, the crime. God is just because the punishment meets, not, not exceeds, it matches the severity of the crime. The severity of the punishment ma matches the magnitude of the crime. 
they have shed. In other words, you're, you're just and you're holy and your justice and your holiness is manifest in that you have brought these judgments because they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. And so, in your justice, because you are just and because you are the Holy One, you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Now, you may want to mark that. In fact, um, without doing any injustice here to the Scripture, I, th- I think we, we could, just, just for the sake of, of uh, uh, helping us understand God's grace and mercy and love, we, we could say this, and it's equally true, it is what we deserve. It is what we deserve. The outpouring of God's wrath is what we deserve. There's not a person anywhere who can say, of course, with the exception of Jesus Christ, but other than Jesus, there's not a person anywhere who can say, I don't deserve God's wrath. I don't deserve to drink the undiluted wrath of God. Nobody can say that. It's what we deserve. And so God is just in executing judgment because we deserve it. This, this sin, our sinfulness, our rebellion against Him requires it if there is to be justice. Verse 7, And I heard the altar saying, that's interesting, isn't it? The altars, it probably means a voice from the area of the altar, but at any rate, it says, I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. There's, there's no question in heaven, by the way, about the justice of God. That's ironic, isn't it? You know, this is part of being made in the image of God is that we are moral creatures and, you know, we have the light of intellect and we can, we have the, the ability to reason. But, of course, we, being sinners, we use those, those things for Bad ends. And so we, you know, I mean, we reason against God using, using the very things that He has given us as part of reflecting His image and His glory. We say, well, this can't be. I mean, this is unjust. But you, you see where in, in the heavenly realm where these creatures, the heavenly creatures and the saints who are already there, see the fuller picture, there is no question about the justice of God. They, they, they are crying out, just and holy, are you true and just, are you? God is true. That's why all of these things are just, because God is true and just, and therefore His judgments are true and just. He's, he, doesn't, he doesn't lie. lie. He doesn't speak or act in any false way. God is light. There's no darkness in Him. No variableness. No shadow of turning. Because He's perfect. He's good. He's right. He's just. He's true. So His judgments are true and just. In other words, they're right. These are, given the crime, given the crime, these are right judgments. These are what they deserve. Now, um, I, I have to do this quickly because we're essentially out of time. But let me just, let's just look at a, a we'll get a glimpse of that right here. Uh, if there's any doubt, okay? When, when God starts pouring out, in other words, what I'm saying is, you may be asking, well, do, do people really deserve this? Yes, and I, and I think we get uh, some strong hints to that here. When God is pouring out His wrath, look at verse 10, the end of verse 10. They did not repent and give Him glory. So now we're not just talking about, you know, back there during their lifetime when they were at ease or whatever. But when God is manifesting His wrath on them, they are still refusing to repent and give Him glory. I've I've told you many, and y'all have heard me say this before, but years ago I I used to listen some to uh, Lester Roloff on the radio. Um... And uh, I remember him saying one time, uh, just just making the point that if I could just sh- if I could just show you a glimpse of hell, 
If somehow the Lord allowed me to do that and I could just show you a glimpse of hell, you would repent and come to Christ. Well, I like a lot about Lester Roloff's preaching, but, uh, but that's just evidently not true. That's what they're getting here. They're getting a taste of hell, and they're not repenting and coming to Christ. What I'm saying is the depravity of man is to the extent that even when God is pressing His hand down in wrath, they will not repent. And again, neither would you nor I, but for the grace of God. Alright, look again in verse 11. They cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds or their works. So again, here they are cursing God. And you've got that again down in verse 21. They cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. So, in other words, because I'm going through these plagues, it's not my fault. It's your fault, God. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? When, when God came to Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned, uh, Adam said, well, it's that wife, that woman you gave me. And a lot of people say, well, there's, you know, there, there, goes, there he is, a man's blaming his wife. No, it's worse than that. He was blaming God. It's that woman you gave me, God. That's the whole problem. Your, your gift. Your gift to me. That's what messed things up. So that's what they do. They, they curse God and blame God. So God's punishment is just. It's right because the depravity of man is real and it deserves the wrath of God. The extent of the depravity of man is such that even in, in this kind of outpouring of God's wrath, they refuse to repent and give Him glory. And instead of repenting and give Him glory, curse and blame Him. Now, let me just finish this way. It's interesting in the middle, kind of in the midst of all this, isn't it, that we've got this parenthetical statement uh, apparently from Jesus in verse 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. I, I love this, you know, because you read these things and you think, oh man, you, I mean, you, you, you could just be tempted to despair here. But even here, there's this, there's this call to wake up before it's too late. I mean, the, the, the clock is still ticking. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, that's what we've been thinking. The clock's ticking. You need to stop. <laughs> the clock is still ticking. The, the day of grace is not over yet. So, so in the middle of this, you, you get this, this I, I, I would call it like a, 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 it's a beatitude. You know, he says blessed, just like he does in Matthew 5. So it's a beatitude, but you could say it's a warning slash exhortation, Right? Behold, I am coming like a thief. Here's a warning that he doesn't have to give. But he does. But he does. And that's great. That's a manifestation of grace right there. I mean, we, we want to we talk about how horrible the thought of God's wrath is. But what about undeserved grace? I mean, it, that ought to boggle our minds. That God would have grace on rebels. Any of them. Any of us. Alright, so he says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. So he's, he's letting us know that, 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 that the hour is going to... I mean, he's, he's letting us know here, but, but when it comes, it'll, it'll be like a thief in the night, just kind of unannounced, bam, there it is. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed, there's the beatitude. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed, like Adam and Eve were after the fall. In other words, there's the, there's the idea of shame there and, and uh, God's, uh, or, or there's sin, rather, being um, open and bare before God. So, happy is the one, blessed is the one, essentially what he's saying here, who's not caught off guard. Blessed, happy is the one who's ready. You're being told these things 
Not so that you'd despair, but so that you'd be ready. Be ready. Be ready. How do you do that? Believe on Christ. Remember, I mean, he's right up in the front of the book. He set before us as the Lamb slain. For what? For our sins. Believe on Christ. Because these plagues are for those who want believe. Remember the 144,000? They follow the Lamb everywhere that He goes. These plagues are for those who want follow the Lamb. Those who say, we will not have this man reign over us. God is just in bringing judgment on those who refuse His grace. Don't refuse His grace. Justice... There's three ways you can you can and when in thinking about justice, there's three ways that you can think about how God deals with people here um, or doesn't. One of them is going to be the way He doesn't deal. Um, justice is giving people what they deserve, and that's what we're seeing here: people who refuse the gospel and they get what they deserve. People who refuse to honor God, they get what they deserve. Non-justice. Non-justice. <laughs> Is a way of describing giving people what they don't deserve. In other words, that's what believers get. That's what the people of God get. Non-justice. Because we deserve the same outpouring of the wrath of God that we're, that we're reading about here that unbelievers will experience. But we don't experience it because of what Christ has done in providing righteousness for us and in taking our punishment on Himself. The reason we don't get the punishment because He took it 2,000 years ago on Himself. So for us, it's non-justice. For, for those who, who remain in unbelief, justice. For us, non-justice. And there's a third category. Injustice. And that's the one God never, ever, ever does. Because He is just and He's the Holy One. And His judgments are just. So He gives out justice and He gives out non-justice, but never injustice. Would you stand, please? Dismiss with a word of prayer and Lord willing, um, see you back here this evening. Um, Brother Richard, you mind praying for us? And we'll be dismissed.